This is the one with a lighthouse under siege. A jellyfish squelching up a staircase. Insider trading. And no survivors. It's called Horror of Fang Rock. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thalan, Oot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Well, hello there, marvellous people of podcast land. You are here again. <laughs> Isn't that marvellous? <laughs> and the great thing is that we're here again. What a coinkydink. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? Oh, hello there. I'm Leon. Very nice to meet you. Wait, I know you. Hi, I'm Leon. <laughs> <laughs> you do know me. I do. And most of podcast land, if not all of podcast land, probably knows me as well. I'm I think so. Jim. Hello, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> We are your two hosts, your duo hosts. See us as your lighthouse in the mist. (laughs) (laughs) And we will be steering you towards the horror of Fang Rock. God, we are the worst lighthouse keepers. (laughs) (laughs) A legendary serial by the legendary Terrence Dix. Uncle Terry. Rest in peace, buddy. Oh, this is uh, C092. Oh, bingo bongo. Had you heard of this one before? No. Okay. I had heard of the title, and I had heard of the episode. I hadn't seen it, not as far as I can recall. But we did, at one point, review an audiobook called Horror of Glamrock, which was not great, but which obviously parodies this title. And thus, I recall JD telling me a whole bunch about this one. Uh, Yeah, so this one, we do have Lighthouse. We have Lighthouse Keepers. Yeah. We are in the early 20th century, I believe. 1902. Very early 20th century. Indeed. Other than that, should we give people maybe a little bite-sized chunk of who to give them the gist of what's going on? I think that's a brilliant idea. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. When an electric alien jellyfish crash lands its spacecraft off the south coast of England near the lighthouse at Fang Rock, it signals the start of a rough night. Manning the lighthouse are three chaps. The superstitious Reuben, who doesn't make friends easily. The youngster Vince, who'd have a different career if the gap had been a thing in 1902. And Ben, whom we barely get to know, but who we feel certain had a beard. Soon afterwards, the alien being a Rutan begins siphoning electricity from the lighthouse and attacks the keepers. Coincidentally, our beloved fourth doctor and his companion Leela materialize in the foggy vicinity around the same time, though. And what follows is a gothic game of Cluedo, where one by one the non-recurring members of the cast get buzzed and or jellied to death. Will any live to tell the tale? Will Leela get to glory in the death of an alien life form? Only time, and this episode, will tell. Miss Gal over, you are welcome. Cue the lightning sound effect. <laughs> What a gothic tale. Well, a gothic setting, anyway. Very much. Lightning. Fog. A lighthouse. A lighthouse. 
Which, can I start us off with a complete non sequitur before we jump into Doctor Who proper? As always. When conducting rigorous online research for the intro and B-Scow, I obviously went to Urban Dictionary and found that Urban Dictionary defines lighthouse as when you are standing in the center of the room and you lift a woman onto your shoulder so that she is straddling your face. You then slowly rotate 360 degrees while ravenously performing cunnilingus. If you drop her, though, the act becomes known as lost at sea. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, back to Doctor Who. (laughs) If we can. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, super gothic setting. And it really put me in the mood to watch the new movie with uh, Willem Dafoe and what's-his-face Robert Pattinson, The Lighthouse. I've not even heard of that. Oh, what's the trailer. It looks fantastic. Mm. I like lighthouses. Like, yeah, me too. This starts off on a good good plus point. It's like, there's a lighthouse. It's yeah, set exactly. in a lighthouse. Yeah, there are lighthouse sets. Woo. Yeah, exactly. They're all curvy. Oh, <laughs> damn it. We could have had a round the twists reference in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> Where do you want to start, Leon? How about just to hammer home the point that this is actually a super dark story. How about we start at the very end with the fact that every person we will talk about tonight, with the exception of Doc and Leela will die. Yep. Every single one. The humans have all been killed by the Rutan. We'll get to all of this. The Rutan will have been killed by Doc and Leela. Yet we end with them super happy about this. They're fine. He's reciting yeah. a poem. She's got new uh, a, a new eye color and they buzz off in the TARDIS. Now transpose that complete and utter nonchalance to human life to the start of the episode. And every single time that we talk about how the Doctor encounters Harker or someone else who's going to die, we know he actually doesn't give a shit. Ooh. Is that too much? I think it's exaggerating a little bit. Okay. Maybe not much. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting you say Harker, actually, because that's the character I found possibly the hardest to kind of understand why we were meant to care. Sympathize with. Yeah. Because... It's written like the Doctor has already bonded with Harker before he even comes on screen, in a way. I think that's because Harker's meant to be the lifesaver. This is something that we didn't mention in the Beast Cow, in case you haven't seen the serial. Yes, it's a lighthouse. Yes, there's an alien. Yes, there's a handful of people in there, including Doc and Leela. And there's an alien slew, but surely killing people off. But is it part one, or part two maybe, ends with a shipwreck nearby. And all part of a sudden, one, yeah. Part one. And then all of a sudden, the survivors of said shipwreck come into the lighthouse as well, just so that we are furnished with even more people that the jellyfish can kill. And Harker is maybe the captain or the steward or something aboard this ship who has been saving people. And I think that's why Doc is meant to sympathize with him. Yes, his, his actions off screen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Kind of fuel that. And yeah, the, the off screen interactions he has with the doctor yeah. make, make you think that. But then actually what happens on screen very little there's very little he has a kind of down-to-earth nature about him definitely yeah and he's presented next to people i refer to as rich shit (laughs) older rich shit (laughs) damsel who faints stereotype yeah like they're not particularly nice people that you're warming to not at all no you're meant to obviously well should we go through all these characters one by one and figure out where we stand with them or where they stand yeah okay so we can get, over, get Ben out of the way pretty quickly, I guess. Cause <laughs> Does he have a beard? I feel like he had a beard. He, he definitely felt like a person that had a beard. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you if he did or not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he had a moustache and it, 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 it went round a bit. I don't he know. was not alive for long. He was not. <laughs> Which surprised me a bit, actually. Like More in retrospect. But that's set up. So we have Ben as the engineer. Yeah. 
and they've they've switched over from oil burning lamp to electrical. Correct. And my first note is next on the history of lighthouse technology. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is this is five minutes of the first episode. It, it really is. And I thought incorrectly that that was setting up the end because we start this off with a conversation about how oil was very efficient, but it was possibly too efficient because lighthouses used to just burn down all the time. And that you're right, it's such a long conversation about it that I was almost entirely convinced that the serial would end with the lighthouse burning down and there being just a book ending of it and possibly even a reference back to, hey, you know what? Electric lighthouses can burn down as well. The weird thing is they could have done that because Doc outfits the normal lighthouse electrical light to be a laser. There's no reason that couldn't have just blown the entire top off the lighthouse. You're totally right. Yes, exactly. Because we don't know what he did. It was nonsense. Or the ship could have crashed into it. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we got Ben, the engineer. Yes. Ruben is the old, He's a guy old technology, long-standing lighthouseman. And he has been, I mean, both of them presumably have been lighthouse keepers all their lives. Yeah. It feels a little bit, did you watch Game of Thrones? Bits of it. I've, I've seen the first couple of series. It felt a little bit like these are like the crows. And right. You know, the chaps who are now manning the wall. They're just guarding the wall somewhere in the middle of freaking nowhere. Yeah. All dudes and all they have is their job. They have no life. They just have their job. And each other. On those cold nights. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Ruben's done this way longer than Ben, solely by virtue of being older, and resists technological progress. Yeah. Such irony that an alien so much more technologically advanced is going to take over Ruben. Some some irony. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mostly, I mean, Alanis, mostly just shock. Alanis Morissette's irony. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> These two things happened. They're slightly different. <laughs> And then we have... Then we have Vince. Vince. Young, innocent Vince. Who is probably the only character I actually cared about. Yeah, me too. Yeah. He seems like a really nice guy. One of my notes is literally a heart emoji next to Vince. Wow. (laughs) Why don't you go and marry him? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite sure of the context of it. The note before is just matter-of-factly saying what's left of Ben's body was dragged in by the boatsman, Harker. <laughs> and then it's, I love you, Vince. I love you, Vince. <laughs> Vince. <laughs> Vince is the, whatever, robot B30 or something oh, yeah. of, you know, robots of death. Yes, he is. <laughs> but yeah, Vince expresses such innocence on so many occasions. Like when Leela shows up like a barbarian and starts taking off layers of frock, in front of him. Yeah. And he doesn't dare look at her and exits the room to get her a sweater. Nice. He's a gentleman and he cares about her and he wants her to be warm and so on and so forth. And he also wants to defend her honor. Yada, yada. Yeah. He takes a bribe, but then regrets it to the point where he burns the money. Oh, is it the money he burned? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just the the message he was meant to send. Was it? It was actually the money. I think he burned the money, and I think uh-huh. he may have burned the money because, and we don't explore this in the serial at all. But the the arsehole that you mentioned before, what's his name, Palmdale or Palmerdale? Rich shit. <laughs> he is Lord. Yeah, Lord Palmerdale. Palmerdale. Lord Henry Palmerdale, the alcoholic. I can relate. He falls off the lighthouse shortly after having bribed Vince, and Vince, I think is afraid of being accused of murder, like theft and murder. So he burns the money. Oh, you think? Uh. Why else would he burn the money? It's like he's such an idiot. He's just, he should roll it up and shove it up his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. (laughs) Vince, come on. Is this your first rodeo? (laughs) 
I'm not touching that. Well, neither would Vin. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, but maybe you're right there. I don't know. I I think I put it more as it was assuaging his guilt of the whole situation. Oh, like he was very reluctant to, and just the, the concept of, I'm not sure what. Well, first it's fifty pounds, then it's a hundred pounds. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what that is in today's money, but probably tons. I think a shitload for a for this lighthouse keeper I'm as guess, well. I'm guessing it's maybe the equivalent of a year's salary. I, I it might be. It yeah. may very well be. Yeah. So he's just like astounded. I mean, it may even be more. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, this 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 amount of money has just kind of confused him. It's not like he's blinded by wealth. I don't think he. You know, he, I don't think he's that kind of character. I think he's just confused yeah and kind of goes oh okay yeah i'll, I'll do this thing for you yeah and and then deeply regrets it exactly but, but you are you're right there with the timing of of the death, of the death. slash yeah. murder mm. who else do we have oh then we get to uh, the shipwreck right well yeah we've touched on it briefly but yes yeah, so we so we get lord henry palmerdale yes alcoholic brandy fueled Insider trading... Douche nozzle. Yeah, d- douche nozzle is right. He's a total ass clown. Colonel Skinsale. <laughs> Skinsale. Skin, is that his name? I believe so. Skinsale. Maybe I haven't said it right. I love it. He's Skinsale regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Come down to the colonels. We got a Skinsale. <laughs> we got every skin you need. Four skin. <laughs> Four skin Can't for the price of, any of other- three skin. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah so palmerdale is an aristocrat and has gotten some form of business insider inside information from the other chap skin sale yeah who i think is an mp or it's is is? some kind of politician possibly I yeah i think there's a very early line which i didn't make a note of unfortunately something but, about his connections yeah, and i think it's something about like it being a like a boring story like him how he talks about being in the army and i think <gasps> saying yes. something something like the house of commons i think or maybe i think uh palmerdale is is ribbing him about like all the boring stories he tells he's rimming him ribbing ribbing him okay. <laughs> sorry <laughs> get your head out of that gutter <laughs> i apologize it's too deep this week <laughs> <laughs> i am so, i'm sorry i'm sorry i shall behave <laughs> Yeah, so and I think there's another line that's thrown in that suggests that he has some kind of parliamentary privilege, which is how I think he's, so got too. Some, he's got some information to offer up. Yeah, and how he then also feels that it doesn't matter that the other guy is an aristocrat. He, with his political connections, can destroy that man's reputation yeah. completely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a bit of a power play because I think for the most part, Palmerdale is such a douche nozzle. Yeah. Like, no one likes him. No one is going to watch this serial and like him. None of the characters like him. He is caricaturistically evil. Yeah. He is a comic book villain. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I guess with the exception, actually, of Adelaide, who is his secretary. Oh, my. Oh, is that what she is? I didn't I know. So. I didn't know her backstory at all, actually. Yeah, I think I think she's Henry's secretary. I just found her tremendously annoying. Yes. Just, yeah, slight tangent to the, the point where Lita slaps her when she's hysterical. <laughs> Love that bit. Yes, that is like, excellent. I am not condoning any kind of... <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it was hilarious. Yeah, so he he's not a likable character. Skin Sale, for the most part, comes off a lot more restrained, I suppose. But then the way he talks about what he's done yeah. and how he's behaved with Palmerdale, and then a couple of things he do, he kind of does later, you realise you're just as much of the shit. You've just calmed down a bit. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I don't know. Maybe not quite the same. 
He must have been in on on this scheme from the get-go, though. I mean, those two have criminal dealings going on, or they've planned uh, some criminal misdeeds. The only thing that sobered him up is the shipwreck. Yeah, I guess that's possible. I think there's a little bit of him, I guess, never really kind of wanted to go through with that. Well, never expected to kind of go through the whole thing. Because there's, oh, really? do you think so? Well, not not in a good morals kind of way. In a two villains against each other, knowing that I'm going to one up you. Oh, there's, def- there's definitely a lot of that kind of that vying around where they're they're reluctantly working together, but actually trying to outdo each other. Yeah, certainly. But what do you think led to the whole thing? Because it seems like Foreskin has more of a like a moral center than the other guy. The other guy is, is willing to just like, no, no, we have to, I have to get to London in time to pull off this insider deal. And the other chap's just, well, no, we just had a shipwreck. I just want to sit down. Do you think maybe at sea, he let slip something by mistake and that then led to this whole terrible accident? Oh, accident. In, yeah, accident. In uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no. wait, hang on. So we haven't said this either. It's not an accident. It's because Palmerdale, despite the weather and against the recommendations of the crew and the captain, just went, no, steer in that direction as quickly as possible. Oh yeah, I'd kind of forgotten that bit. Because this is when Harker, Harker reveals this information and yes. then attacks Palmerdale for being a and for having caused the deaths of all the yeah. other people aboard this ship that we never get to see because they're all dead we get to hear them scream we do yeah but that's it just yeah, a little tangent yeah go for it i didn't like the model ship did you cr- crashing not? into the rocks with people going oh no <laughs> oh, there are some rocks the people going oh no there are some rocks are the same actors whom we see in two three and four they oh, are really? they are palmerdale foreskin and lady who faints because everyone else has just given up at that point and died. Yeah, because... Before like, they even crashed. Why would we cast people we never <laughs> get to see on screen? So we might as well have them. Did you not... How did you feel about the miniature TARDIS materialising with the miniature lighthouse in the background? Yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. Oh, no! I don't know. Fair. That's fine. Yeah. I, it, I have it as a, a question mark to talk about, though. Okay. I, I remember there being an intentional miniature TARDIS as... It was kind of like a... A toy or something. What if a TARDIS gets shrunk? I can't remember. But uh, th- we had a miniature TARDIS. And In Classic Who? Yes, I believe so. I can't remember the exact detail. I don't remember per either. Tweet, I think. Possibly. But do do you recall another instance uh, where they, they do a miniature TARDIS? Oh my goodness, as, so many times. But in this materialisation scene. Do you mean like any materialization in any classic who? Yeah. Yeah, tons of them, but not that I can actually think of any in color. I can think of tons in black and white. Okay. And this material not uh, not the one with the ship, the one where the TARDIS materializes in the beginning and where dematerializes at the end, which it is does. just the scene in reverse, I guess. That reminded me of the beginning and end of The Keys of Marinus. The black and white serial. Fantastic serial, by the way. By Terry Nation, Inventor uh-huh. of the Daleks. Where the miniature TARDIS materializes on an island, and it's just so obviously a miniature. <laughs> it's wonderfully miniature. Is it that you don't like it because it's such a naff effect? <laughs> or because it's such an obvious miniature uh, model? Yeah, it's, it's because it's too obvious a model. Okay. And I think I think it just struck me as odd. Like, you know, we're, we're going ahead yeah. In time. So technology is getting better. Correct. They're using green screen all the time. In fact, most, if not all of the time, they're up in the lamp room. I think that's there, green screen. I think there is a green screen. I think so too. Or blue, blue screen or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like the, the they they're rotoscoping and they're keying out yeah. the backgrounds. And, yeah, yeah. And you can see the faults with that, but I don't mind. Like they're they're pushing technology for trying stuff. Yeah. Whereas this struck me as hang on, we, we know how to superimpose shots. You can have the real TARDIS. Surely you must have some stock footage of a lighthouse somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> or even, you know, I I don't mind the lighthouse model necessarily because uh, I think uh, that was not the focus. It might have even been a bit blurry in the background, and there were there was probably more fog around it and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It was it was more just the TARDIS miniature in the front <laughs> in the foreground that was just so obviously a miniature. Yeah, it just struck me as I couldn't think of seeing like a miniature TARDIS materializing. Yeah. Like this is the key opening shot. Like it's it's such the iconic thing you do in every episode. It feels like a movie made by high schoolers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as such, I have to say I loved it. There's a there's a charm to it that we rarely get to see in classic Who anymore at this stage of, of well, with Tom Baker because of all those technological advances. Because they have green screens and they're rotoscoping and whatever, they're keying out shit. Because of that, we don't get to see cardboard spaceships and, you know... <laughs> yeah, I don't have a I loved it. problem with that. Like, not not to downplay like, models and miniatures, I yeah. think they can, if they're done well, they can be an incredible thing. And practical effects, like, in most situations, even today, are worth doing. Absolutely. If you, you know, if you can, if you can build a set and you're going to reuse it and all this kind of stuff and get your money's worth, it's going to look better than CGIing stuff and actors stood around going... So where's this thing I'm meant to be talking talking to? Where what am I sat on at the moment? You know. Yeah, I agree. But I just yeah, just didn't didn't, didn't quite click. You have previously pointed out that miniature work should not be done next to water or sand yeah. or etc. And this is they are surrounded by water, and so obviously everything seems smaller as well, just exacerbating that effect. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah i'll just check the box in my notes next to todd is materializing and the fog with the miniature lighthouse in the background is beautiful check very good (laughs) (laughs) do you wonder why the doc was i can't remember if it's explained but why was the doc trying to take leader to brighton Oh, good question. They don't make it to Brighton, obviously. No, not even Hove. Not even Hove. <laughs> Maybe Worthing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, is that the... F- I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah it might be Worthing. <laughs> but no, it's the fictional place of Fangrock. I'm not sure we find out. What do you think we do? No, I, I don't think we do. I, I, I'm just curious, because it's not an uncommon thing at the start of a Doctor Who episode to say, we were going to go to this place. Yeah, that's true. But you never know, kind of necessarily what would have unfolded if, if if they did go there i think a lot of times it's more a holiday kind of i'm gonna look vibe. it up i'm gonna look it up yeah i i think that's probably what it is maybe he's gonna he's gonna show her the pier or something like that yeah which yeah on a side note leader is in in terms of the the time frame and the the area oh yes sensibly attired yeah second and last time wow she does I, I, not like those clothes yeah i'm good give me a treat as to how they explain this away because she seemed fairly comfortable wearing clothes and like and, a sweater and then we may mention of the scene where she's wet and she starts derobing in front of vince oh yeah i super love that because it seems in a way that they're kind of addressing the fact they know there's an issue with her attire but also she doesn't strip off and you know it, it's not lewd it's it's literally just doing a, a couple of buttons when she's got like probably three layers underneath anyway. Yeah, exactly. She's wearing layer upon layer. She's an onion. Yeah. But because she flashes part of 
one of those layers and maybe a bit of ankle, <laughs> Vince gets a boner and goes to grab a sweater for her. Yeah. Which is nice. But then the rest of the episode, she is like, dressed like, uh, doing air quotes, uh, a man at the time, because that was, those are the only clothes uh, around. Yes, so she's, yes. so, she's oh, in, I mean, she's wearing Vince's clothes. Yeah. yeah. She's in trousers and a, and a jumper and yeah. looks badass. Like, yeah, she does. And that must, she must consider that practical clothing. She is all about practical and uh, practicality yeah. and, and surviving and, and everything. So surely this would be fine going forward. But nope. Yeah. No, 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 no. She's going to return to her skins next week. Yeah. As we're on the subject of Leela, it becomes clear in this serial that she does have heightened senses and a heightened degree of intuition. Yes. We have Leela already in part one saying, quotes. I feel something wrong in here. Or it feels... Oh, fuck it. I've just written, Leela feels something wrong here. I've put quotes in weird places. In <laughs> that happens in part one. And in part two, 22 minutes in, Leela's senses are particularly acute. And if she says it's getting colder, it's getting colder. Yeah. Says Tom Baker. Yeah, that, that was the bit I was remembering. I hadn't written it down. I think they're doing a good job of rounding off and... Still, still establishing her character a bit, but I get what she's about. And the other part of that through the serial is that she's learning everything. Like the doctor has taught her about science. She makes mention of this. Like she used to believe in in gods in or superstition and magic. I can't remember how it's phrased. Yeah, magic. I think it's when uh, what's her face Adelaide, Lady Who Faints. Yeah, Adelaide. talks about her the, the fortune teller. She's like, oh, she's your shaman. Yes, that's yeah. exactly. I used to believe in a shaman before. And, and then something, uh, this may not be exact quote, but the doctor has taught me about science. It is better to believe in science, which I kind of wish we had Drew on board to <laughs> dissect that one a bit. But I don't think it was an attack on religion at this point. I, I don't think, think so either. It was more an attack on superstition. And I think a lot of this yeah, episode is, is actually kind of not necessarily attacking, but dissecting superstition. Yeah, deconstructing it and then replacing it with the truth, if you will. Yeah. So we also have the jellyfish monster, which we haven't even talked about yet the alien of the week, the Rutan, standing in for the so-called beast of Fang Rock. Yes. Reuben, the superstitious chap, talks about the legendary beast of Fang Rock and assumes that the spaceship that has crashed must be this beast. Yeah. The jellyfish they see must be this beast. And the doctor just, well, actually, he doesn't even disabuse them of this notion, but he tells Leela that is just superstition. In actual fact, this, there is a scientific background to it. But I'm glad that we finally got that explanation. You were theorizing about this, I think, when she first came on the show. About the extra perception. Yeah. Yeah. And completely right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's nice to have it addressed, definitely. I think I would have been okay if it's just she keeps doing it and yeah. think things keep happening that basically justify her having a, a reaction. So she's, yeah. she's predicting things. I agree. But yeah, it's nice that the... The doctor has actually acknowledged it as well. So it's it's not something that is passing him by because that would have been a bit weird. I yeah, guess. that's true. But the one thing that she does keep on doing that really annoyed me in this serial is that she just keeps on attacking. Yeah. She can't just stay put. No, she's going to go out to hunt the alien. No, she's going to go and knock on Ruben's door. So on and so forth, over and over and over again. And it felt a little too repetitive for me. That's interesting. I, I think I liked it. Oh my goodness, we are at odds. Yeah. <laughs> Just a side point at this at uh -huh. this juncture that I have written a number down to rate this. Yeah. Have you already changed your mind about this number? I don't know if I, I think I'm going up and going down. <laughs> yeah, and, me too. Yeah. 
I'm certainly enjoying discussing it more than I thought I would do, which is interesting. Yeah, okay. I, no, I'm not going to spoil stuff. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it is necessarily entertaining, but I find it very interesting to have a companion that effectively we're week on week, you know, a little bit shocked by, and the Doctor is continually trying to, you know, fight that urge out of her. Yeah. Like, he's he's not happy that she's doing these things for Just the most part. Just one serial ago, she murdered a dude. Yeah. To be fair, he was attacking. Yeah, but, I mean, was, she could probably just have karate chopped him. Well, I don't know. Instead, oh, it, she blew a poisonous dart at the guy. Yeah. But then we've been saying lately that we have to accept that the Doctor actually isn't, like, the high moral ground that we think yeah, he, I he mean, occupied, you know. To return to the point I started off with, they kill everyone in this. Yes. Serial. And they, I mean, they, they set up a makeshift cannon yeah. to kill the Rutan. <laughs> and they kill the Rutan. Yeah. And not just that, when the Rutan is dying, when it's it's been blasted by this cannon twice, Leela walks up to it, just drops trout and pisses all over it. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, fuck you, Rutan. You are an intelligent life form. I don't give a shit. Then she spits in its eye and it like slithers down the staircase. Bits of it dragging behind. And she's just there flipping it off and laughing whilst rubbing herself. <laughs> yeah. Do we all have that, That's me- your that heroine. mental image there? <laughs> Thanks, Leo. Thanks. <laughs> no, but the thing is, whose idea is it to make a cannon? Oh, yeah, that's totally the Doctor, obviously. Yeah. So, on the one hand, he's trying to be this this moral, you know, tree in the forest. Like, no, ev- everything that falls from me is golden. Yeah. <laughs> that's I the like weirdest that. metaphor I've ever made. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing the tree from Avatar, by the way, just so you're aware. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not consistent with it. Like, I, I feel like probably most serials, there is something where the Doctor falls back on, we have to physically assault this creature. Or just, particularly when it's the more kind of monster-like Yeah, then alien. He, he MacGyvers some weapon. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, yeah, the Talons of Wen Chang, we had him making a makeshift explosion with gas. Like, oh, yeah. I'm just amazed that he didn't kill actually everyone in the like terrace that they were occupying but yeah also it's you know. slowly but surely you know three episodes later or three series later he's missing a finger <laughs> but yeah you're right yeah so and in this one he macgyvers a the cannon and b the laser <laughs> yeah which it, it's not unique in Doctor Who, in classic Doctor Who and New Who, there are generally points where people or aliens or machines get destroyed. And a lot of the time it's indirectly from a Doctor. Yeah. Sometimes it is directly from a Doctor. That's true. Is it perhaps more common in New Who that the Doctor tries to reason with the antagonist beforehand, regardless of how savage, how brutal or, or primitive this uh, foe is? Is it not also a common trait of the Doctor's that he set aside murdering this foe or killing this foe? Not just to plan B. This is plan C, D, E, who knows? It is the last possible thing on his agenda. Yeah, which we do get in this, I suppose. Because Does he? Does he try well, to reason with it? He does literally sit down and try and talk with the Rutan on the stairs. When the Rutan comes up as Reuben... I guess that is true. And he forces him to... Sorry, I don't know why I've gendered the Rutan. Well, he's wearing a, a human yeah. male body at that point. But either way... Or it's the, the, very, the, wearing a human The Rutan creature is convinced to go into its its natural form, which is the slowest form 
known to the universe. Why? <laughs> Why when it can... It's not even a question of Reuben has legs and can climb stairs. It's that the Rutan is on Earth in a building designed to accommodate a human physique, yet it chooses to not take on a human physique, even though that is an option. Yeah. Any other physique will... Like, the, the surroundings are not adapted to it. I, don't, I, I can get the, it takes energy or it's uncomfortable to, to hold another form or something. Okay, I have other questions but, for you, though. Well, I just wanted to quickly go in. Go for it, sorry. I'm sorry. pretty sure when Rich Shit gets attacked. Yeah, yeah I know exactly. This is what I'm going to say. It's presented as if the Rutan is floating in the yes, air. Yes, exactly. This it thing is, can fly. It is floating up the lighthouse yeah. with its magic tentacles. They... I don't think it's climbing up the lighthouse. Well, the dialogue later, I think, suggests it's meant to have... Or people assumed it could climb. Well, I don't know. Well, you know what? It is much better at climbing straight up the lighthouse in that <laughs> case than yeah. it is to climb the stairs. Yeah. yeah. That that definitely stands. I, either way, it's, uh, it's, its speed up the staircase is ridiculous. It's deplorable. It's yeah. pathetic. It's Fuck it. you, Rutan. <laughs> and also, in addition to that, the Rutan says it is trained in the art of metamorphosis. Which to me suggests it can, it's a shapeshifter. Yeah. It should be used to doing it yeah. and not care. Be- yeah. Because did it shift to the form of Reuben or did it take over Reuben? It's the form. Because, yeah, I was a little bit confused by this. because So Reuben is elsewhere somewhere. Reuben is in the ship, maybe. They Well, they find Reuben's body in the adjacent, the, in the coal room of the the boiler. Room. Yeah, and then it walks out. It disappears. Reuben's Does body Ruben's then goes, dis- Yeah, Reuben's hey. body then goes missing, and then Reuben comes walking back in and just goes, leave me be, and then just ends up standing still in his room. So if this thing has taken over his body, it seems as though there must be some bit of Reuben left here, because if it's an alien that has just taken on the form of Reuben, why would it speak... Why wouldn't it just electrocute everyone? Because just touching it electrocutes people. Why would it just stand in its room doing nothing instead of actually working on its plan? Okay, okay, right. One of us is wrong here. Okay. I'm not sure who. Oh, go for it, go for it. Because I thought... So we hear Ruben scream off screen. Yeah. People go to investigate and he's not around. Yeah. And then we see him come back in from the outside. I think Harker has gone to stoke the fuel in the boiler. Ruben comes back in. He's not very commutative okay he's spotted by maybe someone else on the staircase and then he goes to his room after that leela and the doc find his body in the coal room and that's the kind of shock ending i think Hmm. because this is the revolution at the end of episode three the doc's pieced it together that the life form that he you know whoever's attacking everyone has taken on ruben's form yeah and well more to the point they they've sealed in the lighthouse and so the alien is in with them rather than being locked outside you're right that's like the cliffhanger of episode three you're you're totally right i've just looked it up online and we don't actually see him dead in part two we just hear him screaming in part two and then in part three he comes walking back in yeah i'm i'm conflating ruben's body with ben's body i think yeah ben's body goes missing and then comes back as a well we never see but it's just mangled flesh i think yeah, possibly they carry it in or something like drags that. Drags it in, and yeah, yeah they're, they're talking about it's been dissected to be analysed. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cause, but I was confused at the start of episode four. It obviously carries on exactly where they left off, as they, they do all the time. And Leela and the doc are looking at Ruben's body. Yeah. Cut to scene with Ruben walking into the lamp room. Oh, I see. I think it is. And, and kills Vince. So he's shape-shifted. And yeah, so it, it's taken on his form. Right, 
I guess the stationary in the room for ages is it getting used to the new form I suppose but yeah I, I wasn't too clear on that like just watching it once through I don't know how other people would have taken to it where they were a bit more on board of what this creature was doing and how it did it. But. Something that I don't think was fully explained, by the way, is why it needs to go into the lighthouse at all. Yeah, well, that's kind it, of part of the course, isn't it? Because it has a spaceship. The spaceship is in the water, granted, but it is a jellyfish. It's meant to have crashed, I think. I think the dock. Yeah, it crashed in the water. Yeah. Uh, th- that's how the whole ser- serial starts, right? We see this yeah. meteor-ish, what have you. It then takes a few bits of tech, a signal booster, and some form of transmitter. Yeah. Goes into Ruben's room, puts the transmitter outside the window, I guess, because the dock at one point, Spider-Man's in with the transmitter yeah. in his hand. But for some reason, the signal booster is in the on the bottom next to the generator. Yeah. But we never get an explanation along the lines of, oh, it is in this lighthouse because it needs to reach higher ground. It needs to be as close to the stars as possible. Or and those, what, 20, 20 meters 20 really meters make a really big difference. Different. Yeah, you, you know, anything. Maybe there's something about the construction itself. Maybe the generator or the, the fact that there's metal at the very top. I say, if it, you know, if it wired it into the amount of metal that would be up in the in the lamp room, that would have been... Made more sense. Yeah. And there's something quite poetic about it trying to signal its presence to its compatriots in a lighthouse. Oh, uh, yeah. But why not really use that image, you know? Yeah. It's just standing in his room, glowing green every now and then. Could have done an actual, like, bat signal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the doctor's laser could have been cut, and instead we, we turned the lighthouse into a transmitter. So now the light that's circling is actually a transmission into space. Here I am, chaps. Come and get me. Yeah. Or you could have, rather than the ship crashing at the end of episode one. Yeah. Okay, I'm rewriting it entirely. Go for it. <laughs> you have the the dilemma of the the Rutan has turned the light in the lighthouse as into a signal to signal its ship. So they have to turn it off. But if they turn it off, the ship's going to crash. I love it. It's like speed. (laughs) (laughs) Or we have an entirely alien-free serial. We don't get to see the Rutan until the very end of part four. And when we do, it's not even a real Rutan. It's a fake shit monster doll that Ruben has fashioned. And he has been murdering everyone and blaming the Beast of Fang Rock. Oh. And we've just thought that the Beast of Fang Rock must have been an alien being. But in actual fact, the crash that we saw in the beginning just was a meteor. And he's a murderer. Just trying to think if Doctor Who ever does have sure. it where a human is and they're the only aliens. villain. Not sure. I yeah, don't think you so. You get humans collaborating with aliens. With aliens. But no, I don't, I don't think it would do that, would it? Oh, wait, hang on. So we haven't really talked about this alien. So it's a jellyfish. It is. Rutan. It can shapeshift, blah, blah, blah. It's at war with the The Sontarans. And they have been mentioned on Doctor Who before. By being at war with the Sontarans. Exactly, in the Time Warrior. Yeah. Which I had forgotten about, by the way. I remember that that we knew the Sontarans were at war with a race. I hadn't remembered the name of them. But as soon as it came up, I was like, okay, right, this is them. This is, I mean, can you picture this war, by the way? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The potato heads in their golf balls are at war with the jellyfish. (laughs) Great. India meteors. <laughs> but also, the spaceships at Rutans are like uh, golf balls. Glo- oh, yeah. Glowing golf balls. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, maybe they are well matched. <laughs> There's just 
two sides of the elaborate war field with battlefield where they're just shouting for <laughs> i assume that this war started by having a, a bunch of sontarans on a beach somewhere and then one day a jellyfish washes up <laughs> on the beach a sontaran walks up to it like starts poking it with a stick he's like well, that's not exciting enough i'm gonna touch it and then touches it gets electrocuted this sparks an intergalactic <laughs> incident um <laughs> <And> you jellyfish <laughs> So I, I want to go back to leader a bit, actually. Oh, let's hear it. Because I think they play up some of the barbarian traits a bit for comedy, which which I quite liked. There, there's one occasion at the start of episode two, can't remember the exact context, but Leela basically finishes off with, then they will all die. Like, she, she doesn't care yes, that, exactly. that there's been a shipwreck. She's like, well, they, they've all died. Like, move on. Yeah, I met another that as well. There's also, I think, a little bit of insight on her part into the fact that she is a savage in a way. There is a line in part three where I also don't remember the context for this. She makes a statement and then adds, but of course I'm only a savage. Yeah, I think the doctor has possibly referred to her as that and she's she's throwing it back in in mocking fashion, isn't she? But part three as well, we get... It's a small thing, but I, I kind of like the fact that the doctor gives her a message to take to Harker about keep the boiler pressure up. Yeah. She has... Zero understanding. We know she has zero understanding of what that phrase means. But she has a message to deliver. She doesn't know what pressure is, presumably. She doesn't certainly doesn't know what a boiler is. True. But yeah, she recites it in her head a couple of times, and, oh, well, verbally as well. Goes down, gets it a bit wrong, and Harker understands it anyway. But yeah, it, it's that desire to kind of be a proper companion, I guess. Yeah, I think so too. While not losing sight of her own roots. Yeah, exactly. There's a bit at the end that I loved when the doctor goes, well, we have 117 seconds to escape. We must run. And they both dash downstairs as the the route and ship is about to crash. He runs out. She stops to collect her knife. Yes. (laughs) And we get that little Hanna-Barbera moment of he runs back in to get her, then he has to run back out. But there is that moment. She does everything he wants because she knows that he has a better understanding of modernities. And she proves how um, comfortable she is with that outfit, because she nicely stashed it in her boot. Which I'm, yes. I'm assuming is not the boot she wears in her normal garb. Because yeah, you're right. It looks more like a wedding. Like, she, she pops it in her boot and like, slashes her Achilles heel. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I really liked her in this. Me too. Except for that repeti- repetitive action that I mentioned before. Yeah, well, I like that too. <laughs> Fair. I like, I don't know if I've written down enough of them, but interactions with the Doctor as well. But you've mentioned how these actors didn't really get on. I have trivia about this. I have trivia about this. Oh, you go for it. Go for it. This is where Tom Baker basically found respect for Louise James. Yes, exactly. It's basically Tom Baker was being a bit, possibly an ass actually, and was being very quick to deliver his lines, which is not how they rehearse things. So he was kind of upstaging her. Yes, exactly. And she kept insisting on having retakes to make it how they had it in rehearsal. And he actually, he respected her for kind of sticking her ground and going, oh yeah, okay. No, that w- that's the way the scene should have been done. Yeah. I was Standing being. her ground and, and yeah, exactly. Earning yeah. his admiration. That is what I was going to say. But then there's another part of trivia, which I found on IMDb, I think, okay. which was about the director, Paddy Russell. So I'm, I'm just going to read this out verbatim. Paddy Russell had great problems with Tom Baker during the production of this story. Baker particularly disliked the script and at one point during rehearsals threw his script out of a window. 
His relationship with co-star Louise Jameson was also very strained. Russell had such an unhappy time that she vowed she would never work on Doctor Who again after this. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh. I don't know if she did. I didn't I didn't do any more research than to look at the trivia section. But yeah, so they I mean they had a terrible time shooting this. A Tom Baker hates it and B those two do not get along yeah. at all. But apparently from from this point on, onwards, Louis Jameson claims that they ah. had a much better relationship. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. It's interesting to see if we can t- tell anything because like so far it hasn't been visible to me at least. Like they seem to actually have quite good on-screen chemistry. They're great yeah. on-screen together. Yeah. Like maybe it will go down. Like maybe <laughs> when they actually like each other off-screen it's going to be terrible on-screen. Who knows? Maybe. I mean I, I, that's a testament to their professionalism, I think. They're brilliant actors. They're able to set aside their differences when they're in frame. Yeah. I found another bit of trivia about Louise Jameson in this and about the character of Leela, which absolutely baffles me. Okay. And that is that, you know, at the end of the serial, her eye color changes. It goes blue. Mm. Did you read trivia about this as well, perhaps? I may have just seen it. Ah. (laughs) So it turns out ever since she came on the show, she's been wearing colored lenses, contact lenses. Yes. To turn her eyes brown. And it made it so difficult for her to even see what was going on around her that she complained to the producers and went like, no, everything is red when I look around. Right in a way for me to change my yeah. eye colour back. And they did. And that's why we get this ending. Which is pretty weird. <laughs> why would you change your eye colour? Yeah. I hadn't even noticed her eye colour, if I'm yeah. honest with you. A, why was she wearing contacts to change her eye colour? Because, like like you say, I, I had no idea what her eye colour was. I have no idea what any actor in Doctor Who's eye colour is. Yeah. Like, yeah, none whatsoever. What's your is... eye colour, Jim? I haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm looking at yours now. It looks vaguely brown. Uh, they are brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Leon has brown eyes. I do. Now you know that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this is not the era of HD for a start. I'm sure we get some close-ups of her, but... Even if it was, like, it's not a plot point Hmm. that her species could only have brown eyes. Like, it's not mentioned even in passing. It's just, like, nonsense. Why would you give this actress uh, contact lenses to change her eye colour? It's just weird. And then, because you've done that, we get a strange thing at the end of a serial where she looks at a flash of light and her eye color changes. Like, you've made that happen by stupid decision earlier on. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that her eyes change color because of this. I think that's a pretty cool idea. And the only reason I could see it being worth it giving her lenses beforehand would be because they had already thought of that idea and they were just waiting for a good opportunity (laughs) to do it. But it seems as though this was just done because she requested it. In addition to which, by the way, this serial is a replacement serial. It was meant to be a vampire serial. A completely different script had been written, a completely different serial was lined up, and then they replaced it because there was a a BBC Dracula production Mm. with Louis Jordan, 1977, which, by the way, I heard Moffat and uh, Gatiss talk about at Comic-Con just a couple of weeks ago. And they didn't want to go up against a, you know, a a quote-unquote competing BBC vampire story. Yeah. And so they replaced it with this. So if they had, I mean, oh, well, I guess they could have had an explosion at the end of that vampire serial and maybe she could have yeah, changed her eye colour there. An ultraviolet bomb to kill the vampires. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something along those lines. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird setup though. It really is. Yeah. Really, really I is. D- I don't want to totally downplay it. I, I I think I liked it as well, actually. I think I, I liked it mainly because it's one of possibly only two moments where there's there's a nice interaction where something the doctor says makes Leela just kind of beam at him. Yes. She is so thrilled to have different eye colours. Yeah. And the uh, <laughs> the the earlier one I've got, I've got a note of which so they're they're discussing how to get rid of this Rutan's ship. Yeah. Because there's just the scout here. That's one problem. But then there is the ship up here. I think the Doctor also says that there's a Sontaran ship probably. Lurking somewhere nearby. Yeah. Yeah. We don't address that one by the end of a seal. (laughs) (laughs) At all. But they're, they're brainstorming ways that they could get rid of this ship. And Leader suggests just like on the vaguest idea of, of what, things are because she doesn't she doesn't understand this stuff like i mean i don't understand what a laser is really she bright light yeah she really doesn't understand (laughs) many things are but she's pieced things together and suggests you could turn the lamp of the lighthouse into a laser and the doctor tells her that's a beautiful notion and she absolutely beams at him so proud of having this idea and it's wonderful i love that interaction i am really taken by your appreciation of those scenes oh yeah (laughs) We haven't really talked about The Doctor, about Tom Baker. Not really, no, I guess. Yeah. There are a few wonderful Tom Baker moments in this. I mean, where he is just off the chart bonkers, (laughs) putting his feet up on the table only two seconds later, shout, just a moment, we haven't been introduced. (laughs) (laughs) Or with the biggest smile on his face saying, gentlemen, I've got news for you. The lighthouse is under attack and by morning we might all be dead. (laughs) Yes, that's nice. He is very Tom Bakery in many, many scenes here. But he is also in a foul mood throughout. He is. I think I think maybe that's what I picked up. Like I definitely registered that this felt more like the doctor I knew. Oh. Oh like, interesting. Like this this is a thing that I probably mention a lot. Maybe it doesn't actually bug me as much as I, I talk <laughs> talk about on this podcast, but you know, the concept of, you know, what this particular doctor encompasses and Mm. then maybe some weeks doesn't quite feel like that's what you know we saw this felt like what i think of tom baker's doctor but with you're right that kind of i'm gonna be grumpy to everyone yeah and i think they could have explained it away actually if they wanted to because this is a serial where outwardly at the very least the doctor doesn't quite know what's going on for for much of it for a very long time yeah, at least half of it. No, wait, even more. I, I would easily say two thirds. I'm going to say almost three quarters. <laughs> because Wait, the, four fifths. <laughs> because at the end of part three out of four, the cliffhanger is the doctor admitting his ignorance and saying, I thought I'd locked the enemy out. Instead, I locked it in with us. Yes. But I think even then, I don't think it. No, he knows it's a rutan, for example. Like ah. this is this is a species he knows about, and I think I think it takes him a lot. True, it's when he's faced with I it, think and he goes, yeah, is. "You are from Ruta Three, yeah, at war with the Sontarans, yada yada yada." Like the doc is definitely playing catch up through uh, through a lot of this. Yeah, that's true, and he's also dealing with people who aren't particularly nice. <laughs> yeah, he so, uh, kind of has, and it's meant not- to be a gothic. I was going to say chamber drama, but I mean, it's it's a gothic horror drama, what yeah. have you. It's it's almost theatrical, as in it's almost a stage play. 
Yes, definitely. And it feels very much like, a, I mean, it is a bottle episode in, in many, many senses of the word or the term. So a negative disposition, I feel, is to be expected. But given that we know that he hated this script, I can't help but assume that part of Tom Baker is bleeding into the role of the Doctor in this case. It's possible. Yeah. Because actually, a bit before the uh, grinning whilst telling them that they'll be dead by morning. Yeah. So this is episode two we're talking about here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing based on the pacing of my notes, towards the middle, Doc is admitting, I don't know what it is. I think it's desperate. I think it's cunning. And I think it was time we were getting back. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think it's when Lila and him have kind of explored a little bit out from the lighthouse okay and they're they're seeing like the the fish that have been electrified and like he he really doesn't have a clue what's going on it's like there things are being electrocuted yeah i forgot about the fish by the way i think that's a lovely lovely little detail to add here yeah i I don't know it's kind of odd that there are a couple of scenes where they they venture out the lighthouse but hardly anything for for pretty much the whole serial there is the, the feeling that we can't leave the lighthouse but it's not really solidified, I don't feel. There are, there are a number of people who, well, a number of people, I don't know. But it, on a few occasions, people leave the lighthouse in order to find survivors or find bodies. I mean, they go out to pick up yeah. Palmerdale, for example, or, or whatever the other guy's name is. And um, on one occasion, when Palmerdale is still alive, he says, well, how do I get to London or, or wherever he's heading? Uh, what's, the, what's the quickest way? And he's like, oh, where are you going? London? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're not going there. We, there is no way to get out of here. Every time someone attempts to go somewhere else, they are compelled to stay. And they are told they cannot leave. Yeah. Is that part of, I mean, is that a, a symptom of this being a bottle episode? Is that just a, a standard feature of them? Very possibly. I think it works super well. This this serial takes place in one teeny tiny bloody cil- cylinder and it never feels claustrophobic. This cylinder is is yeah. all the space that we need, even though they, they spend most of it in just one staircase and I think two rooms. There's the top with the lights and there's, oh, three rooms. There's the, the one with the table where they sit down and, and Palmerdale requires or requests brandy. Yeah. And then there's the... The boiler room. The generator, the boiler, yeah. We get a peek into some kind of crew room where Ruben is stood. Oh, that, that's Ruben's room, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what I'm saying. No, at. you're right. It, it's a it's a, a small framed episode that still contains a lot of movement. Actually, there is a and, whole world yeah. in those four rooms, less than a handful of rooms. Yeah, I think. I mean, geographically speaking, especially on a horizontal plane, yeah. we're, we're talking probably a twenty foot square. Yeah, exactly. Area, including the areas that they go out to to, yeah. to find like the dead fish and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, we we had the verticality to to lend to it as well yeah I, I think it's it's an interesting construct definitely and one of the best bottle episodes so far i think yeah maybe it is i don't know i think I, i'm enjoying it more retrospectively than i did watching it me too i'm slightly regretting the rating that i gave it before we started talking yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I may need to re- rewrite that a little bit so dialing back to leela go for it because I I'd still have a, cu- a couple more things. This is clearly the Leela serial, by the way, because we are both absolutely enamored with her character. Yeah. Point. And I think, so we, we've talked about how just innocent and lovable Vince immediately is. And I don't, I don't think you have a reason to feel any negativity towards him, even, even with the 
when he takes the bribe and you know it is gonna like it you don't even know it's that bad a thing like he's he's just sending a message someone's paid him to send a message he doesn't know what it is exactly um you can't really fault the guy for that but we also get leela kind of looking after him and yeah because he he becomes very scared about the situation and reuben hasn't helped matters by this like talking about the superstition and vince is counting the number of lighthouse keepers that there are here and in the story of the beast of fang rock there were three lighthouse keepers two of them died and one of them went mad oh, one's no. got one's died and one's gone mad here <laughs> what does that mean you know <laughs> Like Vin, Vince is not in a good way, and and Lida, I think, has a couple of moments of kind of looking after him and being. Yeah, there's there's almost a maternal quality to that, or possibly a big sister quality. To yeah, I, I mean, you don't even have to put those kind of labels. It's it's just someone who's in more commanding a presence in in the situation. She's not as she's afraid, she's so stronger, she can... and she has as in uh, she she her character is stronger, and she has the facility to take care of other people and the inclination to take care of of anyone in need of being taken care of exactly and he very clear i mean he is also a bit of a stereotype because he is childlike in his yes. innocence <laughs> yeah. and therefore she takes him under her wing and, and tries to ferry him to safety yeah. alas to no avail because he does also not make it through this serial but it's still it's a nice thing, and and it we is. yeah we probably see a lot of companions perform that role because I think that's part of the thing you kind of get from a companion of the Doctor. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of doubly nice from a character like Leela, where we you know we've just been talking about how she is a bit savage like and relishing in violence. Yeah, but she still has that side. She still has the ability to be, to be compassionate and to protect. Like it, it's not just warrior being you know violent for the sake of violence it's, it's a very sharp but effective contrast yeah between these two conflicting sides of her personality mm. and i think it's really good i agree so the same episode this happens in episode two we have her so the doctor the doctor like we said it is kind of a bit lost through most of his serial and she actually tells him do not be afraid doctor oh i miss that then they talk a bit more about stuff which i don't i don't have note, noted down but then finally the doctor kind of dials back to that and says what do you mean? Do not be afraid. Like, <laughs> has a bit of you know takes takes a bit of a front of you know, her telling him not to be afraid. But the fact that she's like in that situation to say that, like, it says a lot about her character. I think so too. Yeah. I, I don't want to get a, ahead of us necessarily, and I I don't want to look at the end of Leela's run. But do you have any idea of if she's a long-standing companion or because there is surprisingly longevity in this character yeah I, I think actually of of any character i can kind of think of there's more progression there's more scope for growth yeah exactly if he were to but we, we're seeing it as well it's not it's not just scope we've already seen yeah something. yeah you're right but yeah. there's still there, yeah, there is absolutely. still so much potential here whereas obviously it's wonderful when he has companions with whom he has something in common let's say a, a scientific interest or or, or knowledge yeah yeah but those companions are only going to be given, and I love those companions as well, but those companions are only going to be given new situations in which to practice their, or like apply their already existing knowledge. Yeah. And they're not going to change that much. Maybe they'll recognize some Tarans, they'll recognize whatever aliens. Oh, that's a Dalek. Yeah, I know that because I encountered them in a previous serial. But this one will actually change over time. Yeah. Making it so much more interesting to watch her. I think so. I, I think I would actually be 
a bit disappointed if we get a journey cut short, effectively. Yeah. From from her progress in seeing the universe and understanding more about what we would consider kind of modern yeah, I agree. technology and, and values. Yeah. And we also get her her shouty violent side as well because yes, we, we get her screaming silence you will do as the doctor says or i will cut out your heart <laughs> <laughs> such a badass i think maybe episode two is just leader episode i don't know oh. probably probably 50 percent of my notes are just about <laughs> just leela, about leela. <laughs> is it okay if i step away from leela just for a moment just for a moment but did you have something else you wanted to say about that <laughs> we can always return to leela who is it? Is it Hawker? I can't remember. There's someone whose dead body they analyze. And the doctor points out, in surprise, oh, rigor mortis. I think that's Ruben. That's what I was... Oh, it is Ruben. Yes. Because people have reported seeing We've him quite recently. We've seen him and then it's... Yeah, exactly. And, and then, then it's rigor mortis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, you know what? It's all contextualized. Now I get it. When I was writing this down, I, I wrote Ruben's rigor mortis... Wait, no, Harker? Question mark. <laughs> because we had just seen Ruben, and we saw Ruben again afterwards. And I thought I didn't realize that this was a metamorphosis thing at the time. I assumed his body had been taken over by yeah, the alien. I, I did as well. And until like literally, they're looking at the body at the start of episode four. We see Ruben at the lamp room. The next scene. Yeah. I started writing a note. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> someone's cocked up here. Like, there should be a scene in between where Doc and Lena move away from the body, and then it's revealed that yeah, the, yeah. the Rutan has, has taken a form of. Oh, I, I wish I had gotten that at the time. But instead, I assumed, oh, it's taken over Ruben's body, but it can no longer maneuver it because rigor mortis has set in and uh, it's right. no longer mobile, effectively. But okay, yeah, sorry, uh, repeat observation, really. I think mention. Uh, is probably needed of just the way that the 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 crashed crew die fairly quickly in a, in a way I suppose but yeah so we we talked about rich shit falling yes. off Palmerdale Adelaide just gets a hand on the head electrocuted she was so annoying I <laughs> she was so annoying <laughs> in part four one of my notes is Buzz Lightyear finally killing Adelaide is the best thing to happen <laughs> so far <laughs> yeah she was annoying so skin cell stays in the longest. Helps them make the cannon and everything. But then it's his own greed. Exactly what I was going to say. Yes. Which, it's kind of poetic. I kind of feel like that would have been a better end for Palmer. I really shit, I, I really like the scene where the doctor goes, oh, I need a diamond. Oh, I need as big a diamond. Oh, actually, these other diamonds, I don't need them. Throws them on the floor. And because Foreskin really wants to keep the diamonds, that's why he gets electrocuted. I like that. I think that's a cool scene. Yeah. There are two things about this, one before that and one after that, that I really appreciate. The one after that is just the effect that when he gets electrocuted, it's because one of the tentacles is sort of lassoed oh, around yeah. him. And I'm almost certain that that scene was shot backwards, that it starts with uh, him having the tentacle around his neck and then they just pull it off him and then they play that backwards, which is quite nice. And uh, the thing before that is when he is rooting through, no pun intended, Ashat's trousers to, to yeah. get to the thing. My note is just, I was really hoping to see Jimmy tug off dead Henry before he got electrocuted. Because <laughs> he is freaking digging his hands into Ashat's trousers. It's a strangely long scene. Yeah. <laughs> Even with an interlude of a doctor just shouting like, in. No, no, no. It's in his scrotal pouch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Like a, is there like a body pouch or something? I don't know. That's, the implication is yeah, some like security a, belt. Like a belt. Yeah, yeah. He says some, there's something about a belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's literally been there for a minute before that. Yeah. No, it's in his ball sack. <laughs> what kind of a man would hide diamonds in his dick? Stop tugging on it. <laughs> Quite a weird scene. Anyway, anyway, that would have been great. <laughs> That's the only thing it was missing. Did you notice the hat changing? I didn't notice a hat. Whose hat? The doctor's hat. The doctor's hat. He shows up just like Leela is wearing periods garments. Yeah. The doctor is wearing a bowler hat in the beginning. Oh, okay. And at the end, he takes out, he puts on his, his hat again. Possibly he takes it out of his pocket. And it turns out it is his normal hat. I don't know what what that kind of hat is called. It's like a floppy Stetson. I, I don't know yeah. what, what to call it. And, and I thought at first this is a blooper, but now I'm thinking, actually, he probably just has his normal clothes in his bottomless pockets. Yeah. It's, he just dropped his cosplay of the week in part <laughs> one, and then he retrieves his regular hat. Is he meant to have bottomless pockets then? I know he has a lot of stuff in he his pockets. He has a lot of stuff in They love, they love the Doctor having stuff in his pockets. They even put it into this, where we don't see the stuff in his pockets. He just fuels the cannon with crap. He even has Leela rooting into his pockets to get stuff oh, really? out. Oh, Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten that entirely. When they when they make the cannon, they, they're like, this, this random housing, which is, I think, a flare. Oh, yeah flare casing or something and he's like yeah fill it with everything basically make a, a makeshift blunderbussy yeah. can- cannon thing he's like em- empty empty your pockets empty my pockets Lila empty my pockets and he, st- <laughs> he starts rooting in one side and then she she's, she's rooting in the other yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big fan big fan <laughs> would you like to rate this yeah let's do that one and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings so you might be surprised to know, don't quite know how to rate this. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the indecisive fellow. I think interestingly, I felt watching this serial that it was very middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And I originally had a score, which was fairly middle of the road. I have adjusted it slightly. Interesting. And I've adjusted it upwards. <gasps> okay. I think for the most part, because I realized through my notes of how, and our discussions, of how interesting this was from a, a Leela point of view, particularly her interaction with the Doctor as well, and, and how it's it's building their relationship. It's not interesting from the Monster of the Week and the characters of the Week. Agreed. Completely agree with you. The the whole thing with Palmerdale and Skinsale having some clandestine deal, and I, I really didn't give a shit. To the point where I didn't even really give a shit when they died. Like, I, d- I don't know. I'd, it, was, it was hard to care about... This shipwrecked bunch of assholes that appear at the start of episode two. Like episode one, we've get the lighthouse keepers who are all kind of nice in their own own ways. One of them gets killed off straight away. Mm. Ruben's the nice old fogey sort, and Vince we get Is the lovable innocent. Nice old fogey. Ruben's a nightmare. <laughs> Sorry, I'm cutting you off. There. I apologize. No, he's the kind of guy that you know. He's, he's with the stories and the superstition, but it it doesn't mean any harm. You know, it's just like oh, it's old Ruben. You know, it, it's okay. fine. You'd All go right. for a drink okay. with the guy, and okay, fine. Like maybe just the one. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, then we get the the rich shit thrown into the mix, and obviously, you're you're not meant to like them. But then I kind of question, why are they in this serial? Why are they so prominent in this serial when I don't like any of them? <laughs> and Good question. So, yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit weird from that point of view. The Rutan then itself is pretty damn naff. <laughs> yeah. 
the the effect of it crawling up the stairs, the fact that it goes so slowly up the stairs, notwithstanding, I mean, that is torturous. But even the effect of it crawling up the stairs is pretty damn terrible. Yeah. I mean, why do they just think that was a good idea? Why why are we trying to green screen this weird miniature on steps? <laughs> like <laughs> No. Let's let's just not do that. No. Let's let's just put it in the room with some people. Like it can be on one side of the room, they can be on the other. It's a curved room. Like there could be some peril from it it it's slowly coming around the curve. I don't yeah. know. You know, just think a bit about what you can do and present well. <laughs> But I, I did enjoy the Doctor this time around. I did enjoy Leela this time around, definitely. And I have enjoyed dissecting it more, and it's made me like it a bit more. So I originally had a just above average 2.8. And I bumped it up ever so slightly to a 3.0. 3.0. Yeah. Marvelous. All right. This is incredibly interesting to me because we've perhaps had opposite experiences of <laughs> as oh, in changing our minds about this. That means that I, I agree with, I think, almost everything you've just said. I'm not going to bother reinventing the wheel and talking about all the things that I, I liked and disliked. But to summarize for me also, this is a Leela episode in that it is a revelation to me how much I actually care about and admire the character of Leela. Yeah. Thanks to this episode. So much so that the score that I've given is almost exclusively dedicated to that fact. I must admit, fine, also to the ambience and to the, the, the gothic setting of it, just the chamber piece energy of this serial. But everything else is so lacking, so lackluster, nondescript or... Oh, don't make me regret my 3.0. No, I'm sorry. But <laughs> I, mean, I don't relate to any of the other characters, really. Vince, maybe, to a certain degree, just because he's so nice. And the Doctor goes without saying, so I'm not even including him on this list. But it's really just an, an ambiance piece for me. Mm. And they did that incredibly well in every single part of my notes, as in I, it's divided to parts one, two, three, four. In every single part, I have written something to the effect of the stylized gothic ambience so incredibly well done. And I must give, give them an applause for that. But it, no, it, it all boils down to Leela for me. And... From her little self-deprecating witticisms of, well, but then again, I'm just a savage, to the point where she is disrespecting its soon-to-be-a-corpse. Uh, I loved it. Loved all of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of her, uh, her in the next serial. And I really hope, I genuinely, I have not looked ahead. I don't know how many more serials she's going to appear in, but I really hope that we get lots of them. So you started somewhere middle of the road and then yeah. you moved it up to 3.0. I started at a 2.9. But then I had a look at, at your behest, I had a look at our stats, our ratings, podcast land, please go to whobackone.com. Check out our rating section. Did you know we have one? We've got one. And you can see exactly what we've given different serials. And for once I had a look and I'd given similar scores, 2.8 to Hand of Fear and 2.9 to Revenge of the Cybermen, which are serials that aren't chamber pieces. They, they aren't bottle episodes and they have very elaborate plots and very elaborate dialogue. And they're, they're so verbose and intense and, and dense with story. 
that unfortunately I had to rate this one down a little bit and mm. I ended at a middle of the road of 2.5. Oh, straight down the middle of the road. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bullshit coward's rating, but there you go. 2.5. Yeah. I, I can't disagree. I feel like actually I was a propped up 2.8, which I then, I've, <laughs> I've added... <laughs> Half a point for just having fun discussing it with you oh, this evening. With you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to listen to Podcast Land? Yeah. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Well, we have a lot of reviews in today. We have a whole five. The number of figures I have on one hand. Good, good grab. <laughs> This gin has really hit us very suddenly. <laughs> yeah, Leon's measures are large. <laughs> so, yeah. who have we got first? We've got Paul Forber. Paul Forber, hello, Paul. Hello there, Paul. You've been naughty again, so you're getting trimmed. Uh, yes, that's right. And and we have this time decided not to just cut off at the f- uh, 250 word mark, but instead to expurgate the more synopsis-like paragraphs. So we're going we're gonna to focus on the rest. Podcast land, please head on over to whobackwhen.com and read this in its full splendor there, though, because this is pretty badass. Indeed. Paul starts. Writer Terence Dick's based horror fang rock on Wilfred Gibson's poem, Flannan Isle, which the Doctor quoted in part. As the 20th century began, three keepers really disappeared from a new lighthouse on Eileen Moore Island after a mighty storm rose from calm seas. Solutions to the mystery ranged from the supernatural to French, Russian, or German spies. Oh, that is an interesting backstory. Interesting. We're then skipping three paragraphs and jumping to the following, where Paul says, Leela was well-characterized, advising Vince to listen to tribal elders and Adelaide, with whom she had no patience, to believe in science rather than astrology. She also brandished her knife frequently and enjoyed gloating over the dying alien after suggesting how to destroy the root and mothership. Her eyes changed colour during the explosion, so actress Louise Jameson would not have to wear uncomfortable contact lenses. Horror Fang Rock is a base or lighthouse under siege story, using a rutan as the threat. The Doctor and Leela were both well characterised, while other characters were cannon fodder until the monster was defeated. Mm. Shortly beforehand, the horror story transformed briefly into science fiction, since the impending skirmish in the Sontaran-Rutan War, which tied the story broadly into Doctor Who, would wipe out humanity and destroy the Earth. As in Gibson's poem, only the Doctor and Leela survived to take off in the TARDIS. Ah, maybe that sort of justify. I didn't realise this, thank you very much, Paul. M- mm. Maybe that sort of justifies the whole, oh, everyone dies aspect and, and totally negates my initial comments about the heartlessness of the Doctor and Leela. I'm not sure if justifies because they wanted to mimic a poet. No, but maybe the whole thing is sort of a... a, a, a homage. An homage to, yeah. exactly, to the yeah, poem. It's very nice. Yes, thank you for that observation. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. People of Podcast Land who happen to not be Paul, or Paul, if you're just, you know, if you're having a slow day, go and follow Paul on Twitter. He can be found at Wordsmith Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. And do read this in its full splendor. Next up, we've got... We got Peter Zunich, the Zunmeister. Zunmeister, indeed. <laughs> wait, wait. Can you and I somehow say the Zunmeister with an echo in the background? 
Zulmeister. Meister, Meister, Meister. <laughs> Hello, Peter. Yeah, so that is no. <laughs> Hello there, Peter. Do you want to take it away? Sure. Peter begins. The mood is what sets the story apart. The setting, sound effects, and location are incredibly enticing. Is it a shame that we never see much of the outside? Or does that simplicity add to the claustrophobic feel of the base under siege? Yeah. The Doctor is in command from moment one, and this story shows how much he's come to rely on the aspects of Leela that he cannot himself fathom. Interestingly, Leela relies on him for exactly the same reason. It's what makes them such a good pair. Hmm. I like that. That's a really nice observation. Yes, it is. Mm. The background characters have little to do, yet that void is filled with several interesting backstories that are explored just enough to pique interest. This, however, is where things start to fumble slightly. Mm, yes. By episode four, I'm tired of people getting electrocuted by something just off camera. Several plot points are rehashed more than once and lengthy discussions ensue when just the visual was enough. Finally, whilst leaving while wanting more is a great thing, there are times when it isn't. This walks the line. It's a great story that I always enjoy watching, but slightly more depth could have made it epic. And Peter ends with leaving us three thoughts. One, why does no one ever get winded from climbing steps? <laughs> because they're all super fit, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Two, was Louise wearing contacts up until this point? Or does she wear them from now on? Beats me because BBC, I would never have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently the former. Yeah. Three, is Vince colorblind? Because he swears that the purple streak in the sky were all red and glowing. <laughs> I did notice that as well. You did. You're, Very obviously purple streak. You're definitely more observant than I am. I reckon the script probably called for a red effect. And then in post-production, when they were actually applying it, they realized, weirdly, that's more difficult than we had anticipated. Or maybe it clashed with the colors, the surrounding colors. And yeah. consequently, they went for purple. Yeah. A fuck-up was made. Yeah. That's fine. But not so many fuck-ups that Peter did not stop giving this a 3.9 out of 5. Holy moly, Peter. Mm. Very nice, Peter. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Peter. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Chris Dabbs Paddock. Hello, Chris Dabbs. Whose Twitter handle I shall not forget to mention at the end of this mini. <laughs> <laughs> Kristab says, again, brilliant gothic horror type story with the added element of being a bottle episode. Claustrophobic, well-constructed, well-directed. I love this. This is a minor point, but I think the lighting in this story produces some of the best shots of Tom Baker in all of Classic Who. Even though he's the hero, Baker in a bowler on a darkly lit set is very ominous. Also, when Leela slaps the screaming Adelaide, it cements her as a total badass. <laughs> not a perfect script, not a perfect set of effects, but enough to earn it a... <gasps> 3.7, says Chris Dabbs. Very, very rewatchable. Ooh. Holy moly. Very nice, Chris Dabbs. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you very much. You know what? I like that mini so much, I went ahead and read the whole thing on my own. Sorry, Jim. did. People who are not Chris Tapps, fret not, there is a way to follow him online. Head on over to Twitter. He can be found at PaddockND. That's Pad. With two Ds. Ock. Like, ock. <laughs> ock, ock, you know. <laughs> 
That's paddock ND, exactly as you would spell it. That's right. You spelled it right in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris Tabs. Next up. <laughs> <laughs> Whom do we have, Jim? I believe we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello there, Michael. Oh my goodness, Michael. Hello. Michael is true to his usual form and first up is giving us some likes. Mm-mm. Oodles of dread, smothered in a fine HP Lovecraftian sauce. Excellent reference. Next like, Root and Ruben's sickly smile. <laughs> Shudder. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm. The surprising and brutal deaths of Adelaide and yes. the Colonel. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> and last like, bloodthirsty Saki Leela. Her best moment, slapping a hysterical Adelaide airplane style. It is airplane style, yes. <laughs> I hadn't made that connection, yeah, but that's so true. But of course, Michael did have some boobs. Special effects amateur hour. The miniatures were rubbish. I love them. Why couldn't the producers have used a real lighthouse? Why didn't they get a wind machine for the outside bits? <laughs> Why didn't Ben grow a real mustache? It wasn't a beard, it was a mustache. Yeah. Now there you go. <laughs> <laughs> We've solved that mystery. <laughs> well, Michael has. Thank you very much, Michael. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Indefensibly naff cliffhangers. What? I loved them. Really? Well, I feel like I probably did. Did you? You, you like the, oh no, we didn't lock it outside. We locked it in with us. Yeah, because it's so theatrical. Okay. Which is part of why I enjoy this serial as a whole. Anyway, I, I, I take your point, Michael. Next on the list of Michael's boobs, we have laughably immobile Rutan. Then, the colonel died with honor, quote, Of course, doctor, tell yourself that to sleep at night. He certainly didn't die needlessly picking up the diamonds you carelessly tossed away, you total ass. Perhaps he was collecting them for the poor. And why are you so chipper at the end? Spare a thought for the dead, i.e. everybody you just met. <laughs> <laughs> the seventh doctor would have said something poignant and respectful. And the last on the list of boobs. Request for new series. Sontaran Rutan War, please. <gasps> that would be insanely cool. Yes, I want to see that. I'm sorry, no. Every picture I have in my head is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> A war with jellyfish it's does not translate to screen. <laughs> <laughs> Strax having calamari. I, 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 no, I absolutely. It's not calamari. They're not octopi. I would love to see that. That'd be great. I reckon you could have a. Wait until there's a new showrunner and then do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, the current showrunner, what's his name? Chibbers. He did a pretty good job of turning the Daleks mega dark. Yeah. He might be able to do something similar with the Rutans. Or maybe they're too similar. Actually, the Dalek out of the casing was kind of... Kind of a Rutan. What a Rutan upgraded could be. Yeah, no, actually, that's super fair. Anyway, sorry, Michael. We sorry, are sorry, yeah, yeah. Interlude, interluding <laughs> in your review, as we often do, because you have such thought-provoking points. <laughs> but you have summarised mostly terror, but with a pinch of... 
Oh, I get it. Terrible. I get it. I get. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I like it as well. Nice one. And what's he rated this? Oh my goodness, Michael has given this a rating of. Oh wow, I really regret changing my rating now because I want to be in the same club, Michael. Michael has given this a rating of two point nine out of five toffs being fried by a space jellyfish. <laughs> Very nice. People who are not Michael. What are you waiting for? Go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter. He can be found at Matt. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. No more underscore. All in one word. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Michael. Next up, we've got Daniel, a.k.a. Doctor in Waiting. Hello there, Doctor in Waiting. Hello indeed, Doc. And the Doctor starts. What a great serial. Our heroes arrive at a grim, isolated lighthouse. An ideal location at which our cast are murdered one by one by an alien menace. The Doctor and Leela are on great form, especially the Doctor's oh shit moment. (laughs) I've trapped us in with the monster. Yes, exactly. See, Jim, here's my friend who agrees with me. It's the cliffhanger that is excellent. I love that cliffhanger. It's a good moment. It's just not a good cliffhanger. Okay, whatever. (laughs) But whatever. Agree to disagree. Daniel continues, Leela is once again the strong female role model, ready for action, polarized by the often fating and screaming Adelaide. The supporting cast get plenty of screen time to give the story a wonderful period feel. My favorite interaction is the roguish Colonel Skinsale's fictional relationship with Lord Palmerdale. However, this fantastic serial is not without disappointment. The Rutan, the old blob from outer space stereotype, is woeful. I understand the objective of trying to create an opposite of the humanoid form of the Centaurans, but the result is such a letdown and most likely why the Rutans never featured again in the television series. Perhaps it's for limitations of 1970 technology and a budget. The Rutan is only menacing when it's morphed into the lighthouse keeper. When in its blob form, it reinforces its cute look by sitting down with the Doctor for a nice little chit-chat on the stairs and some banter about losing the war. In conclusion, says Daniel, I strongly recommend reading Lords of the Storm by David McKinty, one of Virgin Book's missing adventures which does the Rutans and their war with the Centaurans fitting justice. Ooh, very interesting. And he gives this a rating of what, Jim? 4.1 green blobs out of 5. That's a high rating. Is that the highest one we've had? 4.1, 4.1, 4.1. I'm looking through. I'm looking through. I think it might be. It is. Thank you so much, Doctor in Waiting. That is an excellent mini. An absolutely spiffing one. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. What have we got next, then? An excellent question. Well, we're going to start with a bonus episode, namely the 11th Doctor Retrospective. Ooh. Yes, as a little stepping stone before we head into Capaldi Country. Then we're going into a new episode with... <gasps> That's right. A deep breath. Correct, Amundo. Then we're back for more classics with... The Invisible Enemy. Which I bet is another budget saver. Oh. Yeah, I reckon we're going to get another literal invisible alien. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's metaphorical. Maybe it's metaphysical. Who knows? Maybe the Doctor is battling a concept. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the the racism inter- inherent in the system. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. What that, that's the what the enemy is. Enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, we'll probably do an audio review. And when we do, it'll be nevermore, probably. <laughs> <laughs> 
we haven't really lined that one up yet. But yeah, anyway, so that's what we got lined up for uh, the imminent future. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. Uh, Jim, you are on Twitter. Am I right in thinking you're on Twitter? Oh my God, you are right. Yes. I thought so. Yes. What's your handle? Absolutely. It is Jimmy the Who. (gasps) Jimmy the what now? No, it's Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the Who. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I was unclear about that for a while. I am at Ponkin. You are. (laughs) Spelled with three W's and a silent Q. Oh, that's Um, what I thought. (laughs) So please do say hello to us on Twitter. And in the meantime, please do not forget to check out the blog on whobackone.com. And check out the Vindex as well. I feel like they, they deserve a shout out every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're awesome. Well, I think so. We've got some awesome people writing for that blog. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I've had a fantastic time talking about this, Jim. Me too. Until the next time, Toodaloo Podcast Land. Rock on and cha-chao. And do make sure to look after each other. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?